0: There was a little bar in Mill Valley where all the Starfleet trainees used to go. The 602 Club. You know it. <laughs> I was there more
1: times than I can remember.
0: The Prime Minister's talked to Moscow. They're saying it was an accident during a routine training exercise. Governments change. The lies stay the same. What else do we know about the Yana Syndicate? The top flight arms dealers headquartered in St. Petersburg. First outfit to restock the Iraqis during the Gulf War. The head man's unreliably described, no photographs. The woman, on the top, is our only confirmed contact. Would you care for a drink? Thank you. Your predecessor kept some cognac in the top. I prefer the- bourbon. Ice? Yes. We've pulled the files on anyone who might have had access or authority at 7 I. The top name on the list is an old friend of yours, I understand. Oromov. They made him a general. He sees himself as the next Iron Man of Russia. Which is why our political analysts rule him out. He doesn't fit the profile of a traitor. Are these the same analysts who said the Golden Eye couldn't exist? who said the helicopter posed no immediate threat and wasn't worth following? You don't like me, Bond. You don't like my methods. You think I'm an accountant, a bean counter, more interested in my numbers than your instincts. The thought had occurred to me. Good, because I think you're a sexist, misogynist dinosaur, a relic of the Cold War, whose boyish charms, though wasted on me, obviously appeal to that young woman I sent out to evaluate you. Taken. Not quite, W 007. If you think for one moment I don't have the balls to send a man out to die, your instincts are dead wrong. I've no compunction about sending you to your death. But I won't do it on a whim, even with your cavalier attitude towards life. I want you to find Goldeneye, find who took it, what they planned to do with it, and stop it. And if you should come across Uramov guilty or not, I don't want you running off on some kind of vendetta. Avenging Alec Trevelyan will not bring him back. You didn't get him killed. Neither did you. Don't make it personal. Never. Bond, come back alive.
1: Welcome back to the 602 Club coming at you from MI6. We can't tell you which room because, well, then we'd have to kill you. But we're so excited to be back. It's been a it's been a long hiatus, a six-year hiatus from our last film, um, with uh, you know, Timothy Dalton and license to kill. But we're back and we have a brand new bond to talk about and which always makes me excited. Uh, and uh, My very first Bond movie in the theater. So, um, lets you know a little bit how how old I am. You know, though, if we're going to do Bond, we have to have some incredible guests. And, And I am so pleased to have back, as we start the last era of Bond that we need to cover here on The 602 Club, Christy Morris. Hey, I am back, and I have a license to kill, but not to break the traffic laws. (laughs) <laughs> well, that's good. That's good. You know, I mean, because well which is strange because, you know, by breaking traffic laws, you could use your license to kill, right? Right. So that gets really so, circular in logic, mm-hmm. I'm just saying. Yeah. I don't know. I, I think Q is mistaken there. What do you think, John? Yeah, I,
2: I, I have I absolutely have to agree. And by the way, um I think we should have maybe taken six years off just to make the audience feel the same anticipation <laughs> that I felt in nineteen ninety five. Waiting between *License to Kill* and *GoldenEye*, J- you just have so had had enough could... already. Yeah, just so you could walk in my shoes and know what it felt like. Oh, when are we going to get the next Bond movie? Um, but no, but here we are, just after a couple of months, bringing you *GoldenEye*. The the
1: yeah, you didn't even have to wait that long, so no. feel
2: lucky, Six O Two Club yeah. listeners. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, we're we're super excited to, to be with you tonight to talk about this and really want to got a couple things to say. Obviously, you can find us all over the place. You can find us on iTunes at iTunes.com slash track where we have all of our podcasts. But while you're over there, hit you know, hit us up with a star rating review. You know, we say it every time, but it totally makes a difference when you give us those star ratings for reviews. And um, yeah, I love calling out people on the show and thanking them for their views. And, and honestly, it's been a while since I've been able to do that. So I would love to be able to do that soon uh you can find us on facebook at facebook.com slash trek fm where you should be following us uh and liking us you can also find us on twitter at trek fm where you should be following us for sure so you can get all of the details of everything that's happening here on Trek FM you can also find us on our listeners only discussion group now that is also on Facebook it's called the Babel conference and if you're on Facebook you can type Babel into the search field there or uh, if you go to our website at trek.fm you can get discussion on any of the menu bars and that will bring you over there and allow you to talk with all of the other listeners who are conversing about all the different shows and all the different topics that are going on over there it's a lot of fun and then last but not least make sure you do check out trek.fm while you're over there if you want to shoot us an email you can do that go to trek.fm slash contact choose a show choose the 602 club and that email will come to me and then any of the hosts that we're on that week and we'll be able to talk to you with whatever it is that you had on your mind so uh, john uh you totally already spoiled it <laughs> um but uh we're going to be continuing bond as we always do uh but it was six years and a hiatus, and, um, for myself, as I mentioned earlier, this was the first time that I saw Bond in the theater. But it was also the time when I started really kind of paying attention to what was going on behind the scenes with things. And so it was a big deal that this was coming out. But I wanted to ask you specifically, because Christy, you're a youngling on the podcast, mm-hmm. and I think you said you were six when this came Eight. out? Eight, okay. And so... John, what was it like for you uh, wading through the six years of legal disputes that caused Timothy Dalton to drop out and for them finally to hire Pierce Brosnan? I-, I can't even imagine being a Bond fan and just being like, what the heck is going on?
2: It's really hard to overstate the anticipation around this movie. It it truly is. I mean, we kind of know today um, we all get excited about a new Star Wars movie, and we all know we're going to be there opening night. Um, We all know we're going to be excited about a new Marvel movie. We all know we're going to be there opening night. But to wait six years and for for the announcement of a new Bond to be um, this sort of like cultural touchstone. It is a massively big deal. It was a big deal when Roger Moore took over. It was a big deal when Timothy Dalton took over. But this was something really special because Pierce Brosnan had been offered the role before and couldn't do it. And American TV audiences knew and loved Pierce Brosnan as Remington Steele. And I can only imagine that it was a similar thing to British TV audiences who knew Roger Moore from The Saint. Now I didn't I, I know that Roger Moore was on The Saint, and I have watched The Saint since knowing him as Bond. But to an audience in the early 70s, late 60s, early 70s who knew uh Roger Moore in that role, it must have been a really big deal to to see this guy announced as as their next James Bond. For an American pop culture consumer, as I was in nineteen ninety-five and the years before and the years since, um, this was just like, it was like water in the desert. You know, we finally got something and you could tell, you could tell right from the beginning that Michael G. Wilson, the Eon productions, everybody behind this, Martin Campbell, that they were all planning for this to, to wow the audience. They knew that this was high stakes. They knew that it had to be good. Um, yeah, I, I like I said, I I I'm trying to pick my words carefully here because I said you can't overstate it. You can't overstate it. <laughs> it was absolutely filled with anticipation to see this new bond, to see a bond for the '90s. Um, and, and I don't want to give short shrift to Timothy Dalton because the three of us sat here and absolutely praised. His portrayal of Bond in his two movies, even if the movies were a bit imperfect, um, but this was something very, very special in '95 when we anticipated the release of GoldenEye.
3: I have to agree with you there, and even though I will chime in and say, of course, like you said, Madam, the Youngling here, um, <laughs> I didn't have the the same experience um, at the same time as you, of course, because I was too young. But it. That's a long time, and you had to think at some point: Is there going to be another Bond? I mean, yeah. is this going to just end, and we're not going to get another Bond movie? Um, so I, I can't imagine how upsetting that would feel. I mean, it's it, probably the same as how Star Wars fans felt after you know Return of the Jedi, right? Not knowing um so i i think that it's really exciting in that sense that like you said like water in the desert you finally get this payoff and that it's somebody that has kind of been encircling the bond world before because who did we figure out he was married to that was around previously
2: is it a oh, Bond girl rosnan mm-hmm. yeah yeah uh i i might have the name wrong cassandra harris she was inferior as only she was the countess that, uh, that that sort of had a, a hidden past that was revealed to Bond.
3: Right, because I think we were saying he was on set while they were filming this, and it was weird because he
1: was married to her and he was not Bond. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> it's really interesting because kind of coming into this, you know, this was my first kind of foray into Bond in this way. And, you know, I... The thing about Bond at that point, too, um, you know, it would be on like ABC television, you know, the Saturday night movie, you know, they would have the Bonds on and the those kind of things. So you'd see them then. Um, and so, you know, I, I, I knew who Bond was and everything, but this was a big deal. And, and then, of course, you know, uh, on the whole other side of it, the game itself became its own thing. Yeah. The Nintendo 64 game, mm-hmm. which was just, I mean, that's one of the best games that I'd ever played at that point, you know, and like, so that, that had a whole life of its own as well. So there's, there's all this stuff that's happening. And I think it's, it is interesting to me though that, um, Timothy Dalton does resign from the role because of this amount of time that's been left. And I wanted to ask you guys, uh, if, did you think at all as you were watching this, what if Dalton had
2: continued on? I, I thought that over and over while watching this movie, to be quite honest with you. And, and here's the thing, like, I, I, I don't want to, oh man, this is tricky territory. I don't want to spoil my feelings about Goldeneye. Because I'll be honest with you, I had some mixed feelings about Goldeneye after watching this again after maybe a 10-year gap. You know, I, I was there the week this movie opened in 1995. I was so full of of anticipation for this, and I watched it many times after that. And then the last time I watched it was probably 10 years ago. And and I'll get into the feelings that I had about this on our for our rewatch today. But I so kept thinking that Timothy Dalton had been robbed because his movies were okay. But the problems with his movies were not Timothy Dalton. Mm-hmm. The, the The problems with the movies were things like budget and pacing and style and, and just sort of being lost in the wilderness creatively uh, with what they were doing with Bond. Here you had this really strong actor with a really strong grasp on the role thrown into... I think, this sort of transitional period for Bond where they just didn't quite know what to do with him. And I felt like License to Kill in particular was kind of a step down instead of what should have been a step up for an actor in his second Bond movie. It was sort of a step down just in terms of overall production value. Even though he is still absolutely awesome in the role. I watched Goldeneye and I thought, this is the movie that Timothy Dalton deserved. Because he he needed the opportunity to grow more into the role and have a movie that really suited him and really elevated him as Bond.
3: And see, I'm 50 50. I'm 50% right there with you. And then 50% <laughs> going. I like the personality of Dalton in that he can be that really serious Bond um, that was especially a big difference from Moore mm-hmm. but I I think that Brosnan can play it a little bit softer while still being able to turn stern when he needs to and that I, I liked that difference in this movie um, so I, like I said I, I kind of feel like either one of them could have done it justice because the story was there mm-hmm. and you know like you're saying that all of the other things like budget and the story and um, the the ability to, to tell a better overall plot was there in, instead of having something that was kind of a step down.
2: Yeah.
1: Thinking it through, th- the thing is I could totally see Timothy Dalton being in this movie. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, there's nothing about this movie that makes it feel like a Brosnan movie as apart from a Timothy Dalton movie, especially with what we saw Timothy Dalton could do with the role. And so... Uh, and I agree with you, John. I do feel like that this is actually the story that is very strong. You know, it, it finally would have been that movie that would have, I think, catapulted Timothy Dalton um, to being one of the, the the people would be questioning. Then, it would is he the best Bond ever? <laughs> right. You know. Right. And so, um, and it and it's interesting too because this the struggle for them was this question of you know which they you know, you keep having to have now that we're out of the Cold War, um, is Bond relevant? And that question actually created something that was really, I think, key uh, to making this a great Bond film in the sense of the storyline that we get because the world has completely changed now. So as we're continuing Bond, the world that Bond inhabits is very different. Um, and I I feel like one of the things that we struggled with with the Dalton era films is that we're in that that middle period where the Soviet Union I mean I don't want to be mean but really isn't that much of a threat anymore and so the villains and stuff they don't just they just don't seem as um, I don't know villainous um, you know that it's it's just not what you really want and and this created out of the chaos of the world of the 90s and the collapse of the Soviet Union and the 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 Russian mafia and the beginning of cybercrime all of those things i mean this be, this movie is like on the cutting edge of all that stuff like bond is back at being on the cutting edge of stories instead of being at the tail end and so you know you think of all of that together and yeah you're absolutely right dalton could have done great in the role but I, 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 I'm I with you, Christy, in that there's something about Brosnan in this role. It's like he was born to be Bond, you know? Like, And so him finally getting to be Bond, um, you know, I thought was interesting. So I wanted to dive in specifically about him with you guys and talk through Brosnan finally being this character and, and what we think of his portrayal of the character. Sure. So it,
3: I will add, first of all, for everybody out there, man, he is sexy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no, hey, no argument here. Pierce yeah. Brosnan has yet. it yeah. all. Yeah. <laughs> he's got, you know, like I said, that he can be soft and caring and then suddenly be funny and sarcastic. But he's, you know, it, it's sort of that scene where he's with his, um, therapist in the car and she's supposed to be evaluating him. And he's saying, uh, she goes, you know, I, I love this just as much as the next girl. But, and then she said something like, who's that girl? Oh, the next girl, the next girl, <laughs> the one who clearly is better than you. Um, it, but he can also suddenly turn to aggressive or stern whenever he needs to. I think that he really is very versatile of an actor Um, and that this role was made for him. And then he just combined with that gets a really great storyline to fill into. Um, And I think that he just handles this with a lot of um, strength, I think is the the biggest thing I see with Brosnan. Um, Not so serious though, like I said, with Dalton. I feel like Dalton to me was a little bit more realistic he seemed to remind me more of you know bond having been married before um you know these things that usually you don't think are going to be a a thing in bond's life you know i I think that probably for most guys bond is the guy they all want to be um so you like to think of all the positive things and not the sad things um and I like that Brosnan also has this reveal with thinking 006 is like a dear friend and a coworker that, you know, you can share all your secrets with. And then he turns on him. Um, so I think that he I think that Bo- Brosnan played that scene better than Dalton would have been able to convey that that stunned expression.
2: Yeah. I, well, I, so here we go, Christy. I, now I'll meet you halfway. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll echo 50% of what you're saying, which is um uh Pierce Brosnan was born for this role. And, and he is a sexy slice of man. And he looks great in the role. He can wear the clothes. He can do the action. I loved watching the behind the scenes stuff on the scene, how much he did on his own. And he looks like he's having a great time, which is just so nice to see. When an actor just really loves what they're doing, that's a really nice thing to watch. Um, he is—he's good in the uh, in the emotional moments. Uh, he's good in the action scenes. He he is perfectly adequate for all that he is asked to do as Bond. My problem that I ran into, as I felt that he was because of all of that, I felt like he was indistinct as Bond. Um, when we switched from Roger Moore to Timothy Dalton, uh, it felt like—I I mean, from the minute Timothy Dalton came on screen in that great opening, where you know they're, they're climbing the rocks and then he parachutes onto that yacht. I, I I mean, that, that was just a revelation. It was like, whoa, the, the, here's the new guy and watch out because he's dangerous and he's awesome. And he's totally about to get it on with this model in the <laughs> French Riviera. But <laughs> um, there is something about Pierce Brosnan's portrayal. And it might be because this is a movie that, I, again, I felt like the, the stakes were so high that they were kind of playing it safe, that there's nothing about this bond that is too much one way or the other of anything. You know, he looks perfect. He is good in everything he is asked to do, but I felt like there wasn't any really distinguishing characteristic about this bond that made me amazed the way I was amazed with Timothy Dalton's entrance when we first saw him so that that's that kind of colored my uh, my appreciation of this movie again and and it's a really hard thing to say because i can't say anything bad about pierce brosnan there's nothing bad about his performance at all he's very good but i think what i'm missing is that next thing beyond good um, which, which was to find a surprise in his performance. And I didn't find any surprises in his performance. Or like so, a
3: trademark.
2: Yeah, yeah. And now the good thing is we've got three more to go. And um, we'll get to see him evolve a little bit in this role. But I, I think the strengths of the movie are the movie itself not necessarily specific to Pierce Brosnan. Pierce Brosnan is sort of a given. it's it's you know by saying that he was born to play this role yeah he was born to play this role it's a given that he is James Bond in this movie no question about it um but there is nothing beyond that that made me go oh wow he was born to play this role and what have I been missing in all these other movies until we got this guy
1: I think for me the thing that Pierce was able to bring that that I don't know if anybody else was quite the way that he did, which was to portray that the um, sexy cavalier attitude towards life, the panache, is a veneer Mm. for the pain he hides inside. Um, because there is the moment where um you think of Trevelyan you know when it it's revealed that that he is alive and he 's Uh and then the moment where he 's sitting on the beach um and she's you know challenging him about why are you so cold you know he's your friend and you will kill him um and he's like that's that's what keeps me alive. Mm-hmm. But that there's something about that that also keeps him
2: kind of dead. See, there's, there's great dialogue and, about that. I don't know that I felt it, though. And that, that, that's yeah. it. I, I'm really glad they addressed that in the movie. Because it, it's an important character thing about Bond. And, and they were really wise to put lines like that in there. And I'm glad that they appeared in the movie when they did. I don't know that I felt it, though. And, and that's the difference. It's like I, I could intellectually go, oh, yeah, because that's who he is. And that's why this character is challenging him in this way. But I don't know if, if it was a sort of a gut thing for me.
1: And I, yeah, to me, I felt like that that was more the fault of the actress mm. in that moment. Delivering those lines than it was Pierce's response because I felt like if if he had it it didn't feel like he had enough like gravitas Mm -hmm. coming at him to throw it back necessarily I don't know if that makes sense but there just seemed to be something that that wasn't
2: quite Mm. clicking there. For them to really uh, have that him. moment, that <laughs> no, 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 <laughs> no, and, and he was right. I, I said that as a joke, but it's like it, you know, an hour before we saw him, like hit the button to release the bottle of Bollinger in his Aston Martin, and it's like, yeah, he's got a rough life he's also got chilled Bollinger in his Aston Martin. <laughs> That's <laughs> <It's> true. true. <laughs> I mean, that is true. And it's a very different thing. You know, fortunately on this show, unlike Mission Log, we get to jump the timeline. And when we jump the timeline here, we get to see the reinvention of Bond with Daniel Craig. You know, we're, we're still in, for lack of a better word, with uh, Pierce Brosnan, we're still sort of in prime James Bond timeline, where even though we play loosey-goosey with the the actual amount of time that has elapsed we're still saying that this is the same bond the person who has Mm -hmm. changed is m not bond so even though yeah this is not the same guy who was on a mission in 1962 it's still the same bond and sort of a vaguely you know spiritually connected bond in in that respect it's only when we get to craig that we say okay we're going to wipe the slate clean restart and re justify everything that makes James Bond who he is and everything that is in his world, uh, which I think was a brilliant thing to do and probably the right decision to wait and do that with Craig rather than trying to do it with, um, with Pierce Brosnan.
1: The one thing that I also feel like that, that
2: Pierce brings to the role,
1: uh, is the fact that I felt like the, the serious and the silly, as I could put it, um, Flows effortlessly yes. through him, mm-hmm. um. So he can do both sides of the bond. So he can be the the Connery and the Moore nice. all at the same time, and it doesn't seem incongruous coming from him. Like when he's just goofing off and playing in Q's office, yeah. You know, you can tell he's just being obnoxious to be obnoxious <laughs> to Q, mm-hmm. you know, um, because he likes it. It's fun. Like don't you know, touch it, that. That's my sandwich. <laughs> yeah. Um. He just he just enjoys. Being obnoxious around Q because it's like he's that you know twelve year old boy, uh, in Wonderland with all the toys there, and he just likes touching things because he knows it annoys Q. (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. Um, and so uh, that's one thing that I feel like again, um, just kind of what his signature is is that Pierce had that ability to do both of those sides of Bond in a way that just you just accept, like you said, John. It just it's kind of effortless and. Maybe that comes off as um, a detriment in some ways because you're you're not uh, thinking about oh man he really had to d- you know go deep there and like really no it just it, he, yeah. he just is yeah. the character and I think you know more than any other of the Bonds I I, I think he, it, it at least in this first film of his he's able to completely pull together what it means to be Bond effortlessly you know and and so that's that's a that's a real testament to him um i wanted to ask you guys real quick before we leave um pierce and everything what did you think about them talking about story-wise him as bond you know and and making him somebody who is kind of relevant in the age of you know numbers
2: well i mean that was kind of their first stab at it uh, in this is to try to decide who is Bond now compared to the guy that we 've seen for thirty plus years before um and like i said we don't we don 't get to a true reinvention until we introduce reintroduce Bond with Casino royale with Daniel Craig so this is their first stab at trying to justify why this guy is here and why his life is a bit incongruous with the way that the world has changed um and i think they did that in in a very adequate very clever way i mean they they did it with um i mean first of all by by having the psychologist with him <laughs> in that opening scene um by his uh his interaction with m but then you ground it back to that old man by having q there so they they did a nice job I think of of having a foot in the old world and a foot in the new with this bond and actually reinforce that by having the prologue and the action of the movie take place 9 years apart we start in the Soviet Union and the story takes place in the the post fall of the Soviet Union with the world being in disarray and it it was this good kind of metaphor for what's going on with, with bond justifying his existence there as well.
3: And I'll add to what you said, John and say, I think that they did a a great balance of like you're saying, having one foot in the previous bond and one foot in, you know, more modern era reality because that was what really captured me was his conversation in the office with M. Um, Not only do I love Judy Dench, Mm -hmm. she is a powerful actress, but I felt like the writers were intentionally saying, you know, maybe in the past we've kind of been a little chauvinistic (laughs) and could be a little bit more feminist. Mm -hmm. Not in a bad way, just more equal treatment. And I like that M says, you know, maybe in the past you've been able to wink an eye at people and get whatever you want, but that's not how I do things. Yeah. I am your boss and you can't smooze me into doing whatever you want. I'm your boss and I don't have any qualms about sending you in a place where I know you're probably going to die because we've got to get a job done. I don't want you to die, (laughs) but I know that sometimes that's got to happen. And I just felt like that was perfect for saying, you know, I could be either a man or a woman in this role. I'm just here to get a job done.
1: Yeah, that was something that um, I I thought overall the the movie does a very good job of of talking about, you know, and and this is something the Craig movies also do too, which is you know the importance of human intelligence, you know, and that y you, you know just crunching numbers you know on a spreadsheet you can get things wrong mm-hmm. um and and uh I thought it was interesting you know that um bond is is proven right in the end, you know his instincts his his the fact that he's been doing this for so long um it means something you know uh and it was it, it that's what makes it so interesting that the conversation that he has with him uh and that in the end, you know, these characters kind of need each other and, um, she's going to help him come into the, you know, the 21st century, basically the 20th century, the end of it. Um, and, um, he's going to help her, um, with realizing that just because it's new doesn't mean it's better, mm-hmm. you know? And, uh, th- that's kind of a great conversation to be happening, have happening in the film. Um, and, and talking of the new M, you know uh and Judy Dench a dame Judy Dench that is mm-hmm. um i what i thought was most fascinating is is watching the few extras that there were on there aren't a lot of great extras unfortunately but um one of the main um things that i pulled from that was the idea from the writers and everything that this m is absolutely not really a big fan of the 00 section in the first place which i thought was fascinating because that is something that m Uh, will fight against later on in the later Bond films, and especially with the Craig movies, where she's trying to justify their existence. But here, she's absolutely not 100% sold that they're necessary anymore. So I thought that was really fascinating for her character to be that foil for Bond and Bond kind of having to be the person as a double O that justifies the fact that they need to exist. I thought I love the relationship they have and everything. And I felt like she's just the perfect casting. And it's very funny because when you watch the extras, she's so much different than the M character (laughs) who's, you know, just like so confident in everything she does. And I just, I love that Judy Dench was a huge bond fan and wanted to do this. I mean, to me that just speaks volumes. And is so good at being
3: so tough on camera. And I love that then we get her back again with the Craig era. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, she's just incredible in everything to me. But I I like too, Matt, like your point that sometimes you need instinct versus numbers. That moment when she says, well, our analysts say blah. And he goes, and how many times have your analysts been right? You know, (laughs) he's got a point i mean he has the you know um in the reality experience of things and has been on so many missions and she hasn't she has her analysts
2: this was such a big deal when she got cast as m i mean second only to being a big deal that pierce brosnan got cast as bond because that was inevitable (laughs) but but uh judy dench Casting a woman in the role of M was a massive thing in 1995. And now, you know, we kind of look back on that and we go, well, of course. I mean, Judy Dench was born to play the role of M. The way that we look at Pierce Brosnan being born to play the role of Bond. She's so good. And it, it, again, it, it was wise of the filmmakers to start sneaking in these little bits of reinvention for Bond. Uh, to to try to justify who he is because this is a different era from 1962 James Bond um, it's not the boys club anymore it's not just you know guys out there with guns saving the world there are other concerns to have and uh she is the absolute perfect foil for that and I'm I'm so glad that we have gotten as much of Judy Dench in that role as we have
1: yeah, that's the thing I I love too is the fact that she continued on. You know, I, I love that that's the one thing they kept mm-hmm. from, from the old Bond films when they moved to Craig, uh, because she is so good in the role, and I, I think the the small amount of screen time that she does have here, she really cements herself um, and, as this character. Like you never. Uh, question who she is and her authority. She just plays it so effortlessly, a lot like Pierce does, honestly. Um, they they both seem kind of born to play these type of roles. And I absolutely adore um, <laughs> when he's talking to Tanner and Tanner's like, oh, so the evil queen of numbers won't play, you, <laughs> let you play your uh, uh, hunch and you just see bond's face. Like she's right behind you, dude. She's right behind you. And then of course he turns around and he's like, Oh eh, yeah. And she just brushes it off. Like whatever, you know, she doesn't care uh, because she's very confident in who she is and what she believes to be the right thing to do. And so, you know, and I, what was also fascinating again, is just watching her and bond kind of find a working relationship here. So that, um, you know, she sees his value he sees her value and i i feel like you know as the movie ends it's one of the relationships i'm most excited about seeing play out in the next bond uh to see where this goes because obviously this one started off a little antagonistic but by the end that i think they've both kind of proven their worth uh as their characters and so that's really fascinating to me and Also, I think, you know, having we have like three different villains in this movie, Mm -hmm. um, which uh, and and, uh, any good Bond movie, I feel like has multiple layers of of villains. And I really I have to say, um, I think. I'll just spoil it right up front. I think Sean Bean is Alec Trevelyan is one of Bond's best villains just because it the way that they create all of this history with the character of bond. So it's personal and it's business at the same time. I mean, it's just a villain. You end up caring about what happens to him and, and what his motivations are and all of that. I just, I feel like they've written themselves one of the very best villains they have had. They've ever come up with. Honestly.
3: I agree. I think that this villain in particular also has that rich history of his upbringing that apparently he came from all of this, you know, um, upheaval in Russia, um, and then it, it seems like he took that um, anger with him and decided to infiltrate MI6 and continue then being sort of a double agent for a while, you know, playing both sides, um, and then ultimately try to overthrow them um, and go back to his roots. That is just masterful i mean because it takes such premeditation i mean he spent most of his life being this horrible angry person and then also convinces bond that they have this deep-rooted friendship and completely betrays him um or rather bond thinks he's been betrayed they were never really friends um, is a terrible feeling for Bond to have. And I, I could clearly see the the shock on Brosnan's face portrayed so well in that revealing moment. Um, yeah, I think that this is, I agree absolutely with you, Matt, um, one of the strongest villains we've ever had.
2: Yeah, it's kind of hard to outdo him. Um, y- you know, we, we talked about what is the, the big plot here, the existential threat in the movie and the, the, this post-Soviet era weapons on the loose and the, the sort of motivated factions to to uh shake up the world. But that's one thing. It's another thing when you make it also personal. And they they found a way to, to have balance to both of those influences here for our, our bad guys in this. Um, fast forwarding again to the Craig era, I love the fact that they are able to rebuild and rejustify a character like Blofeld. And and give him a personal reason to be there, but then going back and watching this, it's like, oh, well, they they did just as well, if not better, with Sean Bean as Alec Trevelyan to to give him a personal tie to Bond and also give him a personal and political motivation for what he's doing.
3: And then that horrible burn on his face. Oh. <laughs> yeah,
2: you got to have a scarred Bond villain. Come on, yeah, yeah.
1: Well, and the the thing I thought was really interesting, too, like you were talking about, John, they've created this um, historical significance to the character through uh, and and what I love is that it is a relic of the Cold War. It is a relic of what happened at the very end of World War Two, where, you know, England, not as Bond says, not one of our finer moments, sells out the Cossacks. And gives them back to Stalin, and they're all yeah. promptly shot. You know, so not one of the the finer moments in history. So what I really like here is the way that they've been able to kind of ground the entire thing in history yeah. mm-hmm. uh, and and I think that's one of the things that makes this really a strong bond movie as well, because, um, yes, it's very much tied to the time period that it's in. But it's also one of its biggest strengths because of that because it makes the the this story. Relevant any every time you watch it because it has its its time period, and it and it uses it well. And so, the the character of Trevelyan is is a uh, one that it holds to the past, but it's also using the present there with everything that's going on and and creating this crime syndicate where you know crime syndicates are going to become a bigger and bigger deal throughout the world, uh, and obviously the fall of a. Uh, regime like the Soviet Union into kind of this, um, despotic, uh, I guess, capitalism that you could call it in some ways. And just all of that, I think is really smart, but the character himself, I mean, Sean Bean is great. He's mm-hmm. so good in the role. Uh, and he relishes the role that he has. and He plays it with such fervor and, and just kind of animosity towards Bond and and the British and, why he's taking um the revenge out on them uh, basically trying to do to them what you know was done to his people and it just it's so i don't know it's so good like i can't i can't i don't have any more words for how good it is it's it's it really is if i'm ranking bond villains i'm hard pressed not to say that this is the best bond villain like i can't really think of another one that has this much meaning to the character of bond and feels so organic to the story that they've created. Like it doesn't, there's nothing about it that feels cheap or silly or any of that kind of stuff. It just, I don't know, It it it's a really good job with the writers here. It, it's probably the best thing that they did in this movie.
3: And so. I'll add too to what you said, Matt, that I feel like, well, I know in the past some of the plots and villains have been a lot more fantastical. And this is so grounded and realistic and based in history. It feels more like a dramatic interpretation of actual history than it does of, you know,
1: just a a fantasy. Right. And then, I mean, when they kind of get a little bit fantastical with an EMP's (laughs) base weapon, you know, you you still it it still doesn't feel I mean, it, it feels like the perfect Bond villain motivation and weapon and everything like that. It doesn't feel so removed that I get pulled out like like a, a yeah. Moonraker. Right. Like, like it's that, entirely you know?
3: possible in that time to have an yeah, electromagnetic absolutely. weapon.
1: Well I I'm wondering uh then what we all think of Xenia on a top. Um well that is name... I what I love is the way that she's described uh I, I was looking at some information on Wikipedia. They describe her as a Georgian Lust
2: murderer. <laughs> like that's that's a nice way to like say it. It's just a thing, you know. It's just <laughs> It's yeah. a
1: thing, apparently. A yeah. lust murderer. I don't even wanna like Google that, so <laughs> don't
3: go to Webster for lust murder. Pretty sure murderer. I met
2: one online at one oh, point. Please. I don't know. Okay.
1: <laughs> oh jeez.
3: It was so odd that they went that route though with this villain. I mean, she's a great female villain, I'm not going to lie, and it was super creepy. But it doesn't it just always make you feel a little icky?
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, the fact that she's like she is a sadist, you know. Yeah. Uh, That's her she, thing. <laughs> yeah, she enjoys killing people and uh she gets off on it, you know, like and I I I think I think maybe they just do it so well because I'm with you, Christy. I do find it icky. And I think that's what your response is supposed to be. Mm-hmm. This is this, I mean, more than her being any kind of sexy, I just find her icky. And I think maybe that's what they're going for. And I, if that is what they're going for, they nail it.
3: And she's an incredible actress, period. I mean, as we all know, she goes on to be Jean Grey in X-Men. Um, and uh, she was having a very busy 90s yeah Yeah. (laughs) Um, but she is perfect at pulling off super creepy in this role I love introducing her in the car chase Um, I wrote she's my kind of girl she drives a red Ferrari (laughs) so we'd be best friends until the killing started and then we can't be friends anymore Um, and I think that it's also along with the psychological side of the story talking about you know mental issues that there are actual people that have this issue that you know like a serial killer um can have this problem where that's something that they enjoy and like that their mind is so messed up that that's where their mind goes um and so that's that's why you find her so terrifying because you think who could possibly think that way? Um, and that, you know, in the first scene with her and this man on the yacht, you're thinking, oh, well, she's probably just a hooker. And then you go, oh, oh, yeah. that's weird.
2: Yes. Xenia over the top. Um, she yeah. she was, I, I mean, honestly, if she had gone just one step further, just one ounce more crazy, we could have chalked this up to some terrible decisions, but this was the right combination of actor and writer and director and the right movie to make you intrigued by this character and not just think, okay, they've gone a step too far. This is sort of Mm -hmm. the things that I liked about Christopher Walken's performance in a view to a kill, which is not a good movie by any stretch of the imagination. Um, is that you can watch Christopher Walken and go like, yeah, he can portray a character who is a psychopath, who is just not all there. And you can watch Famke Janssen and this and go, yeah, she's a psychopath, but she's also gorgeous. So she can kind of get wherever she wants to go and do whatever she wants to do and probably get away with a lot of it. Um and, and it is creepy to watch her get off on the, the, the murdering and the, the, the broken lives that she leaves behind.
3: I mean, mowing people down with machine guns. Yes,
2: <laughs> yes. Which, you know, to be honest, uh, between her and General Oromov both just shooting people left and right, the number of times they have Bond right in front of them and don't pull the trigger. Come on, guys. Come on. You're mm-hmm. making the number 1 mistake here of Bond bad guys which is not just shooting Bond because you sh-
3: Well she fell for the touch. She did.
2: She did. She did. But
3: there <laughs> And then in the pool, yeah. I mean she wanted her <laughs> piece before she did. he died, right. right? You know?
2: I mean And he said well, no. she she's great and and in any less skilled hands, it would have just been comical. But um she's yeah. really good. I mean,
1: it gives Bond the perfect opportunity to make the mm-hmm. safe sex mm-hmm. joke. So it's that which works perfectly still, honestly. Um, And his whole thing with
3: liking a a woman with authority and then her name is on a top.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And he's like, "Uh, okay. Uh I love when he's in M's office and he is slightly embarrassed by saying her name in front of her. (laughs) Uh, That's great. Like it's such a, a, it's a great, uh, like uh, Pierce choosing that portrayal of like, Trying to be uh, diplomatic and saying her name, um, it's almost like I'm sorry. She's named this. I apologize. I know this isn't proper for me to be right. saying in front of right. you. Um, it's great. <laughs> or maybe uh, only saying her first name could have been another choice. <laughs> yeah, maybe. maybe yeah, uh, what did we think of the general? Uh, because this is the one part of the movie I kind of almost. I he just feels like the stooge, almost that just gets played by everybody. Uh, he's just being used. Um, and honestly, I, I don't know. Uh, To me, he wasn't super interesting or anything. He's just kind of a character that they need to do other things. I mean, he looks the part. There you go. Um,
3: Mm. yeah. And it was hilarious when he goes into the room with this meeting of all these leaders and says, you know, that he's got evidence to pin it on these people. And, uh, the guy says, well, except for, you know, there were two people that escaped. And he goes, oh, I thought there was only... <laughs> 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 yeah. And then you just go, oh, you fool.
2: Yeah, you you need him there. Um and it it's it's good that they chose somebody who is so distinctive looking um and, and can kind of chew the scenery a little bit so he isn't just another guy. So he's not just another bad guy. Um because yeah, he he could get overshadowed very easily. By uh, Sean Bean or by Famke Janssen, but he he holds his own. You know, it, it, it's not the most complex role, but uh, it, it's fun to it's fun to see him have one up on others around him, and then it's finally fun to see him get his in the end. But does Famke
3: really need him? Uh, I would say no. I would say no. She could have yeah. just kicked him out of the helicopter. Yeah, very true.
1: <laughs> very true. <laughs> yeah, the only reason she needs him is to get into that, into Severn Eye. Yeah, right. right. And get the golden once, eye once and then they, she can leave. they've gotten into and they got the key, she yeah. could have just yeah. killed him. Mm-hmm. And that would have really been perfectly within squished squished him for her. Yeah, yeah it would have been, per- I mean, that mm. actually would have been mm. perfect. Hmm. I'm going to write <laughs> Can we re-edit the movie? Okay. Uh <laughs> what I I mean what's kind of cool about this movie is that Bond has a bunch of new friends. And I got to say, you know, anytime you put Robbie Coltrane into a movie, he's fantastic. And again, they create a character that has this history with with Bond. Uh and so I love Valentine. I I really like him in this movie. I enjoy going to his lair and having Minnie Driver, who we know can actually sing, pretend like she uh, can't sing so often um, as his girlfriend or his mistress <laughs> excuse me uh like the whole thing I just I felt like this movie they did a really good job of writing and just creating characters in the world which bond inhabits habits and and coming up with things that feel organic and fun and Robbie Coltrane's character was definitely a very fun part of the movie for me and a a, a perfect casting, I think.
2: Yeah. I mean, you know, for a movie with uh, so many Russians in the story, very few actual Russians doing anything in this movie, except I think some of the soldier extras uh, like in the St. Petersburg scenes were actually Russians, but uh, Robbie Coltrane does a very good job portraying this gangster and uh, for what would have otherwise just been kind of a two dimensional Role as a, a heavy, um, he he actually gave it some life, a- and it's nice to see him and Bond. And I, I love the cut in that scene. He he's plugged the couch a couple more times. Bond jumps into explaining the their their gambit, and then the very next cut is them having this drink together in his office. It's a really nicely yes. crafted sequence
3: it was like he was doing a bit to look tough in front of right. his team and then actually right, they're buddies right. and it's fine.
1: Well, and, and the fact yeah. that he's the one who gave him the limp mm-hmm. you know, because he shot him in the leg was just, I mean, it just, it is kind of like classic bond and, and, in the sense of too, like that's how you create a, a relationship between two guys. <laughs> like, yeah, I shot him. We're friends, you right? Know? Um, With women, we, it does not work that by way. Shooting him in the leg, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, and I, I have to say, I love that. You know, I didn't feel like he was a good villain in The Living Daylights, mm. but. Uh, I do like Jodon Baker back here as Jack Wade, the CIA officer, who's basically yes. the Felix Leiter of this film. Mm-hmm. And he's, oh, he's just, he's so effortless. And I, th- th- we keep saying that, but I feel like he is perfectly effortless in his role as the CIA operative, who it seems a little world weary. You know, um he's been, it seems like he's been at this a long time. Um, but the relationship that him and Pierce end up having, it's like they're brothers from another mother. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's 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 really funny. Um, uh, and his joke about Bond, do you do any gardening <laughs> after looking at his tattoo, is just it's just perfect. I mean, he's yes. he's great in this movie. Yeah, I especially love when he
3: seems to every time when he appears, say things like, and you know, of course, the CIA was <laughs> yes. not here. Yes this didn't happen yeah. you didn't see anything
2: yeah he, he's totally <laughs> perfect and and it is one of those where uh like i said in living daylight he's over the top in the wrong way um and there is every opportunity to make this character the wrong character like the bad felix lighter um or or god forbid like a jw pepper just a sort of bigger than life presence on screen who takes you out of the movie but he's he's dead on. And I, I loved rewatching some of the scenes they have together, just their physicality. I don't know if you watched the um, – uh, there's an outtake of them riding around St. Petersburg in that little tiny, tiny car. And it's just him doing this monologue oh, and gosh. Bond has kind of <laughs> had it up to here with him. Um, but all those two together, their, their physicality was great. Little moments like Bond tossing, uh, tossing him the keys to the BMW, and he catches him with his hat, and then hops in the car and does this mm-hmm. donut. To, to just like all those moments just to give it some life. He's really terrific in that.
1: This this movie found uh, for the most part, I would. Uh, there, there are a couple of times when it. it Uh, The line is a a bit of a groaner, but I think for the most part, they found a way to have the humor and the seriousness of Bond all together. And Wade, Jack Wade, was definitely a character that added some fun levity uh, and and just some lightness to it without taking away from anything that was happening. Like, they they never cut in a scene of him or had a joke where it, it ended up ruining what should have been a, you know, heavy scene you know i i just i really enjoyed him uh so and we do have a new money penny um Samantha Bond <laughs> i love that that's her last name right it's perfect um who will be money penny throughout uh the entire brazen run uh you know she just seems to kind of pick up where lois maxwell left off she is so sassy i agree with you yeah like she i don't know uh, i i feel like they 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 wanted to and they they at least worked hard on trying to create a relationship that felt reminiscent of that. Um, and the way that she kind of gives it back to Bond, mm-hmm. I really enjoy. Um, so I, she about where she challenges him, this could be considered sexual harassment. Uh, or when you know, she says like,
3: one day you're going to have to make
1: good yeah, on your promises. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. so i i just i kind of i just really I,
2: I think their dialogue is good but i i'm actually going to disagree to the point that i i think that this is one of the misfires in the movie and, and it probably has something to do again with the anticipation around her so go back to 1995 uh er, early 95 and all these casting announcements and the behind the scenes stuff starting to leak about this movie so much anticipation about Pierce Brosnan, so much attention on Judy Dench, and whoa, we've got a new money penny for the first time. We have this brand new money, and just, oh, well, not not the very first time, because we, we did have a new money penny with, uh, with Dalton. But they made a big deal out of Samantha Bond being money penny, and I thought there would have been more to her than a couple of good lines of dialogue in there. Um, I don't know what that thing would have been. I don't know would have imp- what would have improved that for me, um, but it didn't quite fire for me. Um, and honestly, I don't remember enough about her in the three movies to come to know if I'm in for something better when we get there. But hey, we got three more episodes of this to do, so I guess I'll find out.
1: Mm-hmm. No, I I couldn't understand what you're saying, John, because. It does feel a little bit reminiscent of the Dalton films in the sense mm-hmm. that we don't get a lot of money penny, you know um but when i I do think back to a lot of the Connery movies uh we, we don't get her a lot there either, so um I don't know if if maybe we as fans just made more of money penny Could in our well minds be. after yeah. all those years. Uh, and and we just expected more, and then yeah. So, um, but I I am interested because I you know it's been a while since I've seen the Brosnan films, so I'm interested really to see where this goes and and how they um continue on with with the character. But I I do really feel like that the the way in which she kind of accepts Bond for who he mm-hmm. is, mm-hmm. and she knows him. You know, um and i I kind of liked that they have this um this sexual chemistry that just always goes unfulfilled between them uh and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's okay you know and 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 it was it it was almost um it almost seems like a good definition of a I guess a a, a healthy male female relationship that doesn't have to have sex, but there's still that yeah. s- sexiness there. I don't know. It just it it especially for the nineties. It was it, it it seemed like they found a nice balance that they're both accepting of what sure. this is and what it's not going to be. Mm-hmm. So and um and in the end too, they're kind of like there seemed to be a respect between them. This is their thing. And that's okay. So I don't know. I don't <laughs> you know if I'm explaining myself yeah. at all. But let's get yeah. into time because we that our our actual Bond woman for the film, and um, I I thought it was interesting that she is a Bond woman who gets a lot to do in this story, and it's not about the action, but she has so much to do with the plot of the movie, and she's very active, but she. she doesn't have to sacrifice any of her femininity to be active and i thought that was really nice and 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 and, you know um it, it made for i thought uh a standout bond female role uh when we look at the long history as we have with these films I agree. I think that
3: it's definitely a a stark contrast to that scene. I remember of Tiffany case with the bikini and the machine gun that just looked ridiculous and (laughs) a little sexist, Um, you know, she's a woman, they wear skippy clothes and they're not good with guns. (laughs) Um, You know, whereas I think that um, Isabella in this role is really um, stands on her own and like you said, Matt, she can still be feminine, but she knows coding and computers and, you know, maybe not quite as good as Boris. I'm going to get to later. Um, but, you know, she's got some knowledge and she's not just a pretty face. And then she goes through this really traumatic experience and. Um, You don't blame her at all for being a little torn up about it, Um, you know, with her whole base exploding and then having to walk through the snow to wherever um, and then gets hooked up with Bond. She really seems great at keeping her distance and knowing how to get what she needs, but also still having those moments of vulnerability as well where she doesn't always know what to do. I
2: like her so much uh she's definitely in the the top of my uh bond women list somewhere maybe not in position number 1 but but somewhere toward the top of my uh favorite bond women um maybe it's just the whole eastern european thing i don't know but i i think isabel skrupko <laughs> is stunningly beautiful and just there's something about her character that like it's almost comical what she has to go through to get out of the situation that she's in at the at the base, you know first she just narrowly narrowly avoids getting shot by Xenia um, and then, as that place is crashing down around her, gets out of there, she finds herself strapped into the helicopter with bond um, you know everything that could possibly go wrong for her goes wrong on this journey, but she still has this great strength, she still has something to contribute. She's not just a damsel in distress by any means. Um, I think Mm -hmm. she is super cool. So uh, very glad to see her. And and glad to see her as, uh, of the two strong women in this movie, glad to see her as a counterpoint (laughs) to the psychopath (laughs) Xenia on a top.
3: But it is funny how they introduce her um, with that whole joke with Boris that you think maybe it's going to be like Bond women of the past where he goes, um, they're right in front of you and you can right, use them to open right. large doors.
2: Yep. Yep.
1: One of the things that I liked about her too, is that we don't pretend like she has to be yeah. good at everything. Right. Like the fact that, you know, she's kind of screaming at what ha what's happening to her. I thought created the nice reality of who she is. She is Mm -hmm. just an analyst, you know, who is working on computers all day. And like her, her life has nothing to do with this spy life. You know, so I felt like they, they had a really nice balance of, of who she is and what she's been through and, and, and what she's been through in the film, um, what she goes through. And, you know, by the end when bonds like, can you use this? She, she takes the gun and like, you can tell she's had some training but that's not mm-hmm. who she is, you know, like she's she's not somebody who's necessarily comfortable with it, but she can do it like they just made her such a capable person um and and a well rounded person, but she didn't have to be everything in the movie like she could be she could be frail at certain points, and that's okay, but you know what, so is yeah. Bond at certain points in this movie um you know and and they brought that out in each other and get so i i liked uh the relationship they had and everything it felt realistic for two people who have kind of been thrown into this position together and um she sort of understands kind of who he is and uh you know they it it's it's not like it's supposed to be more you know like i don't know again it it just felt like kind of an adult Connection and relationship with each other, which was really nice, and I think she does a, a good job. There are some points where I wanted a little bit more from her, I think, um, emotionally, but for the most part, I think she delivers the uh, the character really well. And so, um, we didn't talk about Boris, and I, I, when we were talking about our villains, <laughs> Alan Cumming, but um, you know, I I will say this: I think Alan Cumming plays the role, uh just to the hilt. Um I mean he never and um you know I, I think he kind of portrayed the geeky, nerdy, sexually repressed um programmer A-hole <laughs> that he is perfectly. Yeah.
3: Yeah, he is priceless, as you said, Matt, before I'm invincible. Um <laughs> uh, he, he's got a little bit of an ego on him. Um, because he is this brilliant programmer, he just thinks that he can, is better than everyone. He can do anything, and that he is going to crack all of your codes, and uh, the American babies are going to cry. Um, and and it really um, that this and some other movies of this time about the technology really made me want to be a like code master because you're like, oh, what's a spike? That sounds fun. Um, and man, he's hacking everybody's databases, but then it you feel so bad for her that she really thought that they were friends, and then that revealed that he's joined Fomka Jansen and you know their whole team. Um, was great, and then the whole moment with her managing to beat his code for once and cause everything to blow up in his face literally. Was hilarious. Yes.
2: Uh, All of the above. I mean, it's another one of those characters where pushed a little bit more. He would have just come across as a stereotype, a little unbelievable. Um, But, I mean, come on, it's Alan Cumming. And he's so good. And he gives life and believability to what on paper would have just been sort of like, okay, yeah, he's nerdy. He's sexually repressed. He's a little over the top. But we actually we actually get a sense for who he is instead of just what he does. Um, he, yeah, he's he's pretty great I, in a movie with for any faults that I could find with this movie. The casting is definitely not one of the faults in this movie. <laughs> yeah.
3: No. And they all work so well together for being a lot of big names yes. in one yes. movie. Because I think you run the danger sometimes of they try to add so many A-listers in one movie. You're going, okay, this is just going to be a who's who and not an actual great film. Whereas this really mm-hmm. had a basis great story and then mm-hmm. brought in mm-hmm. good people.
2: Yeah.
1: What, what did you guys think of, you know, this is first time Bond's been back, you know, six years. What did you guys think of the action of this movie? Because that's always a big part of James Bond movies, and of course a, you know, um, a lot of people, the action, they felt like was lackluster in A License to Kill. Uh, I've heard that from a lot of people. So what did you guys think about Bond's big return here in GoldenEye with these action set pieces?
2: Yeah, I mean, they they don't skimp on anything. Um, no, no. But it, it, if you Spared find no fault expense. with anything, it, it's just that yeah, so in the 23 years since that movie has been made there are certain effects techniques that have been improved I love all the miniature work I, I loved watching the behind-the-scenes stuff and everything that Derek Mattings did for this and they're showing these you know remote-controlled MiG mm-hmm. fighters yeah. that they built remote-controlled helicopters and the 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 Severnaya uh set all that exterior it is just an incredible looking model um So they did a great job with that. Even from the beginning, just the the car chase is shot in a really thrilling, exciting way that you feel like, yes, you you too could go right over the edge of that mountain with them. (laughs) Um, The opening uh, bungee jump off the dam is so good Mm -hmm. it it is reminiscent back to that you know spy who loved me the the going right off the edge of the cliff with the the skis um I, i will find one fault with that though uh it leads right into another great action sequence with bond meeting alec and uh them taking down the chemical weapons base however i watched that scene probably four times Trying to calculate in my head, like, okay, Bond starts at the top of this dam, way up in the mountains. He jumps off, and at 70 stories, so 700 feet down, he then penetrates <laughs> further into the depths of this base. Yes. But when he comes out yep. of the base, he's on top of a mountain in the snow. And I'm trying to remember where the scene yep. is where he takes the express elevator somewhere back up to the top of another mountain to then escape in an airplane. Something in there doesn't add up. But... <laughs> but <Nope. laughs> That's absolutely yeah, 100% yeah. true. But <laughs> other than that, um, they build tension really effectively. Um, really, every scene that has any action in it, they build tension really effectively. And man, that tank chase in St. Petersburg is just so... Ugh. Good And and what a set piece because they shot some of it there and then they built uh, a huge section of St. Petersburg Street at their studio to get the stuff that they couldn't shoot on location. It's remarkable looking.
3: And I love the joke that even though they have all these great action scenes with vehicles that she goes, you're always in trouble in a vehicle. I'm not getting in another (laughs) one with you. But I I do agree. I think that the the tension is built really well in all of the action scenes. I especially love the tank chase. So much better Mm -hmm. than a boat chase. Mm -hmm. Let me just add. And um, the train scenes later were just amazing as well. And I felt like that whole thing with them escaping through the floor. And she's literally still looking up information as he's counting down. And he's like, okay, we really have to go now. Yes,
2: yes.
1: Love it. One of the things that I, I felt like with the action is it felt like Bond, but it also felt, again, like something that could happen for the most part. I mean, catching up to the airplane, okay, that. obviously we know that's, <laughs> hate, that's you, know. <laughs> you know... Yeah, yeah that's yeah. Uh, probably not going to yeah. happen. A little too implausible. Uh, yeah, but the the rest of the... I mean, the rest of the stuff that happens in the movie just feels so real, you know? And And yeah, that tank chase is just... I'm with you. It, it's a standout Bond moment when he's just crashing through everything. Um, and then, of course, when he fixes his tie uh, is, is great. And so uh, it, it, it felt so, again, I, I feel like I keep saying this with this movie, but so much of it feels very organic to what's happening. And the story plot structure all flows very well together for why certain characters are in certain places, why certain things are happening. Uh, And so, um, and I love it. And I think, you know, one of the beauties of the action is the way that they use the sets and the places that they are, especially within um, a previously Cold War Russia where you're in that statue. Gorgeous, uh, gorgeous. A graveyard, which just is gorgeous. Um, You know, all of this stuff, I feel like, They've done such a fantastic job of thinking through all of these elements, and the production and the set design and all this stuff is working together perfectly with the action to create a film that just has such an identity. It knows what it's trying to do and what it's trying to be, and it's fantastic. So, mm-hmm. um, I think the only thing that doesn't really fit in Hate this movie
2: hated like poison. <laughs>
3: Okay, tell me, are you meaning the opening song or
2: all of no the no music? no not
1: the opening song? We'll talk about that in a second. Okay. But uh, just the score, for the most part, mm-hmm. except for the tank chase, which they replaced for the film, um, where they added in like the Bond theme and everything, and that sounds like a normal Bond score. But like say when they're doing the car chase at the beginning mm-hmm. with Bond and and on a top, yeah, it's just this weird like it's. It's like Ladyhawk bad. <laughs> kind of like techno weird I don't know what's happening. Why are you doing this?
3: Yeah, when it's not the Bond theme, everything else score wise was bad. It felt um a little outdated. It felt misplaced. I I agree uh, with it, you, man. It's
2: terrible. Um it it's really horrendous. And and even from the the opening with the gun barrel logo I just thought, uh, okay, I, I know you. The bond opening gets a little bit of a redress from Bond actor to Bond actor or era to era. This was not a good redress of that opening sequence. Um, and there were moments in the film, like the scene in the statue graveyard of the, the old Soviet statues, and. And Bond and Alec are, are re-meeting for the first time here. And as I'm watching that scene, there's some music playing there. And I, like, I had to stop for a moment and say, now, is that something that I'm just hearing outside, outside of my headphones? Because whatever I'm hearing <laughs> does not fit this scene. When I started playing again, I was like, yes, yeah, somebody ruined this scene by putting some music in there that is just terrible just so bad it is truly one of the worst bond soundtracks of all time
1: there are some moments where there's just the kind of the the dark bond theme where it's like dun 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 mm-hmm. dun dun, dun, mm-hmm. dun, 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 dun. Mm-hmm. and it's done with this this kind of in between orchestral and techno, but it, it, I don't know what it is, but it works really well in certain places. Like, there, there's some things that they choose to do uh, that are good. Um, I thought the romantic music was good when, like, Bond is on the, uh, the beach and he's talking to Natalia. Uh, that music is good. But it's this weird action music that just
2: wow, mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> <laughs> like it's just it, it, I don't know what they're thinking and it's just awful. So let's stop talking about it because let's get to something that was amazing is when Bono and the Edge get together with Tina Turner to create a Bond song. It's awesome. Uh, yeah, I think it's
2: good. I think it's good. I think it's good! Wait, wait, wait! See, here's the thing. Overall, I think this movie plays it safe in a lot of places. So, like, there's nothing wrong with Tina Turner. There's nothing wrong with bringing in Bono and the Edge to dress that up, okay? But, I felt like it it was sort of like uh, uh, in License to Kill. So, it was sort of like a Bond theme by the numbers. This is much better, much much better than License to Kill, uh, for the for the opening theme. But this is not one of those songs that I want to throw into my playlist from when I'm driving. I want to hear Live and Let Die. I want to hear Thunderball. I want to hear uh, I, I want to hear A View to a Kill. I want to hear you know because those are just so distinctive to me. There's nothing wrong with this song. This is not particularly distinctive to me. And I say that as a fan of Tina Turner and obviously a fan of the Bond films. So you guys can keep this one. <laughs> that is fine by me. You add this to your playlist, it's not gonna be in mine. Okay, good. Oh good. it's on my
3: playlist. <laughs> yeah, because you're wrong. I'm like, it's I'm gonna so play good. Devil's Advocate and Matt and I will be over here That's... enjoying it because I really thought okay. it was distinctive with that opening uh-huh. bum bum bum. You know, that comes to mind immediately for me. And the way that she Mm -hmm. sings the word Goldeneye really sticks out to me. Because she's
2: Tina Turner. Um, She's awesome. I I think that it... Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think that it... I feel like she's just, like, biting into every part of the song. Like, she's just chewing it up and, like, spitting it back out at you. Like, there's something about the... I feel like the song, but I also do feel like... It's the visuals. Honestly, I feel like this may be the first great Bond opening visual yeah. sequence. Like it is amazing. Like because the story that they're actually telling about the kind of like the fall of the, you know, Soviet Union through it all and it it's 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 everything you want from the Bond visual opening. So it fits with the song. It's sexy. It's provocative. It's everything you want. And so to me, I think that's one of the things that makes the song really work. But I I will play Devil's Advocate. I think, you know, uh, this is a song that I love. It's on my playlist. I love it when it comes on. There's something about it that just kind of like I there's like a sultriness to it. Like in it, I think that's just the Tina Turner yeah. coming out. <laughs> um, you know. Uh, but I I felt like when you think of people that should sing a Bond song, you know, Tina Turner was one of those people, and they've got her finally. And I felt like, to me, it just, yeah, it it it's, it it's hums. I, it's I do great. agree with you. The, the it,
2: opening so. credits sequence is awesome. I, I think it's one of the cooler ones, because I just love all that Soviet imagery, and they made it sexy, and they made it weird. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so... Yeah, the it's, it's popping just out weird. Of I, that was another one I rewound. Like, what's? Uh, huh? Really? Okay. Um, uh, <laughs> but you know, just for you two, I'm going to add it back to my playlist and uh and we'll we'll see if it grows on me yeah. but, but right now yeah it didn't uh didn't grow on me
3: <laughs> so speaking of playlists i will tell you my number one bond song has become oh, skyfall by Adele. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it is yeah. so well, I mean, powerful to
1: beat it's hard to, be, it's hard to yep. beat skyfall um but to me and i will be honest i think that next to skyfall this may be like number two or three for me like it'd be three for me after live mm -hmm. and let die yeah there you go yeah i think yeah this there's something about this song i just i really like um and i think part of it you you nailed it christy i just the way it begins where it's just bum 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 uh the 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 beat that uh bono and the edge created for this song i don't know there's something about it so anyway we could honestly keep talking about this movie, but we don't have the time mm-hmm. um, because John has got to scoot soon because he's got some mission log stuff to attend to. So I wanted to ask you guys, we've talked through so much of this movie. Where do you come down with GoldenEye? Was it the golden reinvention for Bond or was it just stuck somewhere in an old Soviet dumping site for you know, so well, I tell you what, I
2: I struggled with this one a little bit because uh, as we have been doing this series of podcasts, I I found movies that I liked better than I thought I did, and and not not by huge leaps, but like Man with a Golden Gun surprised me that I liked it better now than I thought I did. Live and Let Die, I was surprised that I did not like that movie as much as I thought I did. Goldeneye, there was just a tremendous amount of anticipation for me in 1995, tremendous amount of anticipation for me now watching it for our show. And at the end of the day, I have to say, like, there's no denying that this was the right movie at the right time and with the right cast. Um, And and I think if there is anything that surprised me about the cast, it's uh, going back to our conversation about Pierce Brosnan. He's very good in the role. But there wasn't anything beyond that that jumped out at me about him in the role. Um, I also think that this is a movie that, like I said, is kind of playing it safe. It's sort of, they know that there's a lot on the line. They know that they have to kind of reinvent Bond a bit for the audience and and for the 90s, and now they've got this actor that they've been chasing for 10 years to get into this role. Um, And by the way, I'm glad that it took them longer to get Pierce Brosnan than they did Uh, uh, because I think had it been Pierce Brosnan in 1985... It would have felt pretty different. He would have felt like a kid in this role. Um, So there's a lot to like, but I also feel like that there are things in this movie that have not aged well. Um, All the elements are there. But, you know, I was struggling with this and I thought, okay, where do I really land on this? Because if you'd asked me 10 or 15 years ago, I would have said this is a 9 out of 10. And then I watched it the first time for our rewatch today and I thought, okay, well, you know, maybe I give it a 6 out of 10. But then I thought, no, 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 it, it's better than that because they're really trying to throw everything at you. And, and they, they know that the stakes are high and they know they want to show you all the cool action that we've been missing. They know they want to correct the missteps of the last few movies. And they know they've already got a star. Walking into this, it's not like Timothy Dalton, who'd been a little bit under the radar, definitely a well-known actor, but not a huge megastar the way that Pierce Brosnan was. So for this, I'm going to give it a seven and a half statues of linen uh out of ten, and i I, I think that's fair. you might You might catch me on another day and I might say, "Yeah, I'll give this a solid eight statues of linen." Or maybe on another day, "Eh, maybe it's the six and a half statues of Lenin. So I I think it's solid. I think it's good. But I don't think it's amazing. Um, And I feel weird saying that. Because at, at a time, I thought, oh, this is amazing. This is such a great Bond, and I'm so glad they reinvented this character this way. And now I watch it, and I go, hmm, you know what? I know what's coming. And maybe I'm more into the reinvention that we got in the 2000s than than this reinvention. But like I said, I I feel weird saying it because I think everybody is on their A-game here.
3: And I understand where you're coming from, John, especially being in that moment of it, like you're possibly going for, you had the rose colored glasses of it's been a long time since we had a Bond movie. It's been six years. You were really waiting for something and you got this payoff and it, it was a huge moment. And so that may be the reason that you felt a little mm-hmm. more love for it back then than you did on the rewatch. Um but I, I I do feel a little bit differently about the portrayal of Brosnan in this role. I do think that they played it safe in a lot of ways. But I kind of felt that they needed to because you're coming in with a completely new bond, but after a long hiatus, I think that it's also hard for people to make that transition again to another new actor after only only having Timothy Dalton for two films, (laughs) Um, going, gosh, now we're getting another guy. Um, You know, because Roger Moore was around for so long and Sean Connery was around for so long. Um, But I think that... Like we said, Pierce Brosnan has this personality just in his regular life, I feel. It feels so natural for him. He is this very suave person who can turn on a dime and be, you know, the bond that gets the job done and is tough and cold as well, um, but can then turn and have this softer side that he has with... um, Isabella Um, so I I really loved him as Bond I think that there was not much I didn't like about this movie I think that it had a really realistic and interesting plot and that Famke Jensen was a standout character for sure I mean I remember her (laughs) more than I remember Alec even though he was probably one of the best villains ever um, because she was just so creepy. And then on top of that, yes. I knew Alan Cumming. Yes. I'm just gonna throw it out there from Spice World. <laughs> um, as well as from Nightcrawler nice. in X-Men, um, which was my favorite character in X-Men. Um, so that was a big deal for me getting him as Boris. So I give this a nine out of ten for me. Um <laughs> trying to figure out what to use to rate with.
2: Hmm. No. I think I'll do
3: nine nice. out of ten Boris's. Well, well,
2: Boris gets a grenade so pen at the end. So, I mean, a nine out of ten grenade oh. pens. Because, look, if That's I need it in my life, it's approximately yeah, nine out of ten grenade pens.
3: And did you ever th- think at some point <laughs> if there was a girl in this movie named Natasha?
1: <laughs> you know, I was, I was thinking through this because... And Part of part of what I was thinking is, is, I was listening to what you're saying, John, and I think for myself, I have to divorce this from the rest of the Brosnan movies, mm. because I know where they go, yeah, right? Yeah. I know where it ends up, but where they start here, it's such a good beginning to bond again. And I, I feel like the storyline that they created is exceptional. Uh, when you think of Bond stories. The villain they've created is memorable. Uh the the characters that we got here, that the casting we got here, everything about this movie works. There really isn't anything that doesn't work except for the soundtrack. You <laughs> gosh, you could have just replaced that with something else. And I mean somebody re edit this movie with Bond soundtrack music and, and you would totally work so much Please. better. Um I, I there's there's not really much about this movie that doesn't work. So when I kind of divorce myself from where I know that they're going to take the Brosnan run, um, I, I, I'm i really excited because I, I want more of this, you know? I think, and maybe this is where I can see what you're saying, John, I think I can see the seeds, though, of what they're going to do. Um, They're going to take this formula, and they're going to do the same thing they did with Roger Moore. <laughs> Which is they're just going to keep ramping it up and ramping it up until it just becomes ridiculous. Yeah. But here, everything works in a way that it never actually worked for a Roger Moore film for the most part. Mm. Like, I, I, I think that this works even better with that formula that they wanted there than something like, I, you know, maybe this will be crazy for some people, but I think this is a better working movie than uh, The Spy Who Loved Me. mm you know, I think uh, when you think through the story and the characters and everything else, you know, the, the, I don't know that everything here just I feel like falls into place. So I'm right there with you, Christy. I think I'll come between both of you and I'll say that this is eight and a half out of ten Q sandwiches. Um, you know, because I'm hungry yeah, right now. That's good. Um, I'd take eight, eight and uh, a half no, sandwiches right now. That'd be all I right. Do, yeah. Yeah. yeah, who wouldn't? Who, would, who yeah. wouldn't? that sandwich it did. Good. It did. Um <laughs> But i I yeah, this is this is and and I was trying to this is something where I tried to divorce myself from the nostalgia of this one uh for me, and just kind of try and and put it into context of what we've been doing for the last year and a half now, which is talking through all these bond films, and when I think back at the history of them, I don't think Connery's introduction is this good. I don't think Dalton's inter I Dalton's introduction may be this good, but I know I know, I know for sure that um, Roger Moore's right. wasn't. Yeah. Um, and to me, the only person who had a better Bond movie mm-hmm. as an introduction was was Laz- Lazenby because that's still my favorite mm-hmm. Bond movie. Um, and again, that's because there the it's the story, and so. Yeah, this is this is just great stuff, and I loved being able to talk about this one. I think people have been waiting for us to get to the Brosnan era. <laughs> I know people are going to be excited to hear us talk about more of them, so I can't wait to dive in <laughs> to um, "Tomorrow Never yes. Dies" because, uh, yeah, I, I mean, gosh, you know, stealth boats. <laughs> so, um, thank you, everybody, uh, for joining us. I really want to say a huge. Thank you to Ken Tripp and Davis Grayson for supporting the show through Patreon. And, you know, um, they are associate producers here on the 602 Club because of their support through Patreon. Now, Patreon is a way which you can support this network and make sure all the shows keep coming to you each and every week. It is a massive thing to put on a network of this size, and we, the hosts, can't do it alone. So go over to patreon.com slash trekfm, and you can see how you can become part of the team. Support us uh, every month. Every little bit helps. And again, that's patreon.com slash Trek FM. Now, Christy, thank you so much for being back. It's so much fun doing this with you. I'm so glad that you joined the Bond team. Um, But uh, I know you've got so much else going on these days. Where can everybody find you? Well, you're welcome. I have
3: been honored to be on here talking about Bond movies that I love so much with two people that have similar feelings. So... You can also find me, though, on the internet. On uh, I'm on Galactic Fashion, which is a podcast I do with my friend Teresa Delgado about um, fashion in the realm of geekdom. So we talk about Star Wars, Star Trek, um, Harry Potter, Disney, everything. So we're on um, Twitter and Instagram at Galactic Fashion Pod. And then you can find me personally on both places as well at Bespin Bell.
1: And John, uh, if anybody wants to find you and tell you how long you want, were about the uh, <laughs> opening theme song for this film, where can they find uh, you? They can <laughs> chime
2: in on Twitter at DVD Geeks. That's how to find me. And if you're looking for my show, that would be at Mission Log Pod um, or at the podcast uh, network for Roddenberry. That's podcast.roddenberry.com.
1: Man, and you do I mean, you really wanna find John on social media. He's great. Um I mean slow mo gentleman is is the best Twitter account <laughs> ever. Um And so, yeah, I mean, and not Twitter. Uh, Instagram. uh, The best Instagram. Have a little fun there. So make sure sure. you find him there. (laughs) It's good stuff. Uh, You can find me on Twitter, MattRushing02, if you want to tell me how wrong I was about this movie. Um, I'm also on Instagram under the same name. Uh, You can find me here on the network doing The Orb with Chris Jones, talking all about Star Trek's Deep Space Nine and The Orb. I'm over on the Nerd Party Network talking about Harry Potter with Drea Kaufman on Owlpost, walking through each and every chapter of the series one chapter at a time. I'm doing Aggressive Negotiations over there with John Mills. All about Star Wars all the time. It's so much fun. We can't wait for Solo. It's almost here. Uh, so make sure you're checking out Aggressive Negotiations. And last but not least, doing Cinema Stories with my friend Courtney as we talk about films through the lens of faith. But thank you so much for joining us. And y'all come back now you hear